Amen. Hey, before we get into God's Word, I'd like to take just a few moments to have some prayer about a couple of things. Some of you know that uh, last uh, Wednesday, one of our members, Chris Hack, after a period of uh, severe health struggle, uh, took his last breath and stepped into the presence of Jesus. And for that reality, we give thanks, but we also want to lift up his family as, as they grieve the loss of, uh, of this uh, dad, of this uh, friend and loved one. And, and then as we pray for that, let's also hold up our president. And uh, something we do well to do all the time, but, but especially as he's... Uh, Dealing with COVID-19, we, we pray, want to pray for him, for his family, for our nation, for the administration, and, and, and I do hope we're praying you know, about the elections. We might be praying for different, differing results, but uh, bottom line, we place ourselves before God and ask that somehow he'd be at work for his redemptive purposes in, in what is, um, it's a crazy year, isn't it? And yet Jesus is still Lord, right? Yeah. But let's take it. Let me just give you a moment of silence and uh, to begin with, lift, lift up Chris, Chris's family. And lift up the president and his family and our, his administration and our, our nation with the elections coming soon. And then as you pray, would you ask that um, God would use this time in his word to, to say what he wants to say to all of us together and to each of us. Through the scriptures, through whatever I say, but especially directly to our minds and hearts. Oh Lord, we thank you that you've given yourself, you've given us your word, your spirit, You've given us this time together. Would you guide me as we explore your truth now? In your name and presence we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we're going to let the kids head off. And before they actually leave the room, I'd like to pray for you guys. All right? So, Lord, thank you for, for these um, little ones and not so little ones. We ask that they have a great time together with you and each other. Amen. God bless you guys. You have a great time. You just might have more fun than we will have here. Matthew 16 is where I'd like to spend some time. So if you have a Bible, would you find that? Matthew 16 in the New Testament. Uh, last Sunday, we started this series called Focus and what we're thinking about is both the act of focusing, the attention that you'd, uh, you'd try to give, but also uh, what is it you're attending to? Uh, what's your focus on? What is your focus? Uh, so let me give a practical example of this. Let's just say that um, Steve Burdick and I are in a conversation. And uh, so we're talking, I'm trying to listen to him. But I'm not uh, very focused on the conversation. So Steve's trying to tell me something. I'm kind of looking around. It almost might feel to him like he, he thinks there's someone better to talk with. You know, or I'm just, I'm just scattered. You know, I'm not able to really zero in on anything. Or let's say that as we're talking, I, I am very, very focused. 
but I'm focused on something different. So talking to Steve, sort of, and uh, so your house burned down. My, hey, did you see how the Broncos have yet another injury? You know how that works? Anybody been there, done that? Three of you. Okay, the rest of you are just per- perfectly attentive. Okay. I'll try not to focus on this as we get into God's word. A big question is, what does it mean to focus our lives on the one who said, I am life. I'm the way. I'm the truth. And what does it mean that um, we'd have some focusing on this one named Jesus? Now, a window on all this is this fisherman follower of Jesus named Simon. He gets renamed Peter. And today we're going to look at how he gets drawn into some focusing on Christ. So take a look at Matthew 16, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Of course, he's referring to himself there. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. What about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You know, last week we were thinking about how important it is to, to really face the hard stuff in life, but, and yet not make that our focus. Not dwell on other stuff and so dwell in it and let it have some kind of control. Rather, and I think we've got a slide on this, Tiffany, just as a little reminder. There we go. Uh, but even, even more, we, we uh, not only have to face the hard stuff and not pretend it's not there, but we need to have our focus on what matters the most, and that's God. And uh, specifically, this God who's given, gave himself in his son named uh, Jesus. And so the question really is, who exactly, one question is, who exactly is this God that we might place our focus on? And, and who is this Jesus? When, when people get asked the question kind of like Jesus asked, who do people say Jesus is? Who do people say God is? There are a lot of different answers, right? All kinds of uh, images that we have of God, of this one named Jesus. You know, for 20 plus years at the church I served for a long time down in Littleton, we, we offered what's called the Alpha Course that came out of, uh, out of uh, the UK many years ago. And the Alpha Course is um, designed to concentrate or, or to focus on, on people just exploring Christianity, people that we sometimes call pre-Christians or maybe brand new believers. And uh, so it's, we'd have a meal every week for about 10, 11 weeks. We'd have a short talk on some aspect of Christianity. Then there'd be small groups where people would have a freedom. We'd say, we just want to hear your heart, your, your thinking. What are your questions? We're not going to answer them right away, but we just want to get to know you and it was just a wonderful time. We actually had kind of a rule. We didn't enforce it too much, but we, we said to members of the church, this is not for you if you're a mature believer. You're not allowed to come unless you're going to help serve the meal or be a small group leader. But you can come if you'll bring a pre-Christian friend. And so a lot of fo- uh, folks would, would do that. My son-in-law brought uh, 
a fellow science teacher at Rappo High School down in Littleton, a guy named Adam, and a brilliant uh, young man. And uh, just he wanted to explore. He was genuinely open to the course, but also what we were talking about. But kind of sadly, at the end, Adam came to the honest conclusion that this Jesus of Nazareth said certain things, did certain things. He came to the conclusion that Jesus was an alien from another planet. Well, not absolutely unreasonable and sort of close to the truth. This man had to be from somewhere else and yet not quite the truth. But, but with him and others, it was wonderful that at the very least they were taking seriously the question, who is Jesus? And I don't think Jesus is going to let go of Adam and I pray Adam is still pondering that kind of question. You know, we found over the years, not just in the Alpha Course, but in many conversations that that, that people came with all kinds of assumptions about what or who God is and who and what Jesus might have been. And uh, often this was really distorted by the families they grew up in or the churches maybe they went to, um, just stuff they'd read. Uh, more than a few times, I've been in conversations where people would say, I just don't believe in God. And, and I kind of learned to, to answer back and say, well, tell me about the God you don't believe in. So many times, once they describe the God they don't believe in, I would say, I don't believe in that God either. Could we talk about Jesus and just, just see what sort of God he was making known and what sort of God he might have been? And sometimes that would kind of open a door. So big question, who do you say I am, Jesus asks. You know, Simon, the fisherman follower who pipes up with this answer, I say you're the Messiah. I say you're the son of the living God. And that's when, as you can see in the rest of the passage here, verse 17, we'll get into this a little more in the weeks ahead. But you can see how Jesus declares him blessed. But it's not because Simon is so brilliant, he figured it out on his own. Jesus says, no, this is a gift of revelation from the Father. And and it's not just that uh, now Simon has correct information so he can pass the Sunday school quiz and get some kind of a little reward. Jesus gives Simon nothing less with this revelation of a whole new identity, a whole new purpose, a whole new destiny. And it gets expressed in a whole new name. He calls him Rock. From now on, your name is Rock. In, in Hebrew, Kephas. In the Greek of the day, um, Petros, or in English, Peter. And, and Jesus says, on this Rock, this God-given realization at the core of your being as to who I am, on this kind of realization, I will build my church. I will build my people for my mission to do nothing less than to storm the gates of life-stealing powers. Friends, at the absolute center of all that that might mean, at the absolute driving center of all that, that we are, all that we would ever do, especially together as Grace Covenant Church, at the absolute center is this Jesus. 
And today, he asks every one of us, what about you? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, he's got a couple things to say in his declaration. Let's just think about that. Number one, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Now, that literally means the anointed one. And that's referring to the long-awaited and promised king of Israel uh, who would liberate his people. Uh, by the first century, as you probably know, the universal language in that region was, was Greek. And so the Greek translation of Messiah or anointed one was Christos. And that gets translated into English as the Christ. Now, you, you know, don't you, that Christ is not Jesus' last name? He wasn't born to Mr. and Mrs. Christ. Were you aware of that? I mean, if, if, if he used the last name, it would have been something like uh, Jesus Josephson, or in, in Hebrew, Jesus uh, Bar Yeshua, Bar, Bar Yosef. Um, Christ is a title. It, it probably is best translated the Christ, the anointed one, the king. And by the time of the resurrection, the, the followers realized that he is, he is the Messiah, he is the king, and not just of Israel, but he's the king of everything. He's the Lord over all things. And that's what, what Peter and the other disciples are just now getting a glimpse of who this Jesus is. You know, it's probably not random that Jesus chose to make known this identity near the the region of Caesarea Philippi. We've got a map. I'll just put up here for a second. Uh, he's in Caesarea Philippi. Do we, do we, there we go. And uh, Caesarea Philippi is, a, is an area to the far north of Israel, right on the border with Syria. It's a very non-Jewish area. And for decades and even centuries, it had been a, a kind of center of um, non-Jewish religion, of uh, pag- all kinds of pagan temples, uh, I've had the privilege of being there, and you see the ruins, and there's a depiction of what was um, there originally at the time of Jesus, just two of the many, many temples built there. Um, one is uh, built out of a kind of a cave that uh, was devoted to the god Pan, the god of nature. There also was a massive temple built by Herod the Great, though it could also be named Herod the evil one, he's, he's the guy who had all the babies slaughtered, you know, in Bethlehem uh, at the time Jesus was born. Just a, a truly evil, insanely evil person, a half-Jewish king. And uh, he had built, as a way to get in with Caesar back in Rome, he built a temple devoted to the worship of Caesar. The C- Caesar, the emperor, was considered divine, and so there would be forms of worship of Caesar. So he had all these temples to all these gods, including Caesar. And, and by the way, that's why Herod's son, Philip, later renames the, a city there, uh, the Caesarea, um, Caesar's town, built by Philip. So Caesarea Philippi. But it's here that Jesus makes it clear. He's the king. He's the emperor, if you will over all things. Now this leads to a second thing that Peter gets right. Not only is 
Jesus, are you the Messiah, but you are the son of the living God. Now, listen, the historical Jesus of the Bible, of the New Testament, was 100% human, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 in the Grand, it's like a hymn devoted to who Jesus was and is. It says that the Son of God did not grasp equality with God, something to be held onto, but emptied himself and humbled himself and became as a human all the way to the point of a cross. Jesus was human. In a couple of months, we'll be celebrating his human birth. And um, I hope this is not heresy for y'all, but I think, I think a way in a manger gets it wrong. I'm rather certain that it's wrong that it says no crying he makes. I bet he cried. He was a normal human baby. He cried out for his mom's milk. He peed and pooped in his diapers. As a, as a man, uh, Jesus got tired and slept. He got hungry and he ate. He got tired and he got sweaty. He got sad and cried. He got happy and laughed. He was 100% human. And when he was sentenced to death, accused unfairly, beaten, and tortured to death, it was horrifically painful. And it was a real and awful death that he died as a human being. But here, for the first time of many, Simon is saying, you're the son of God. And, and for a Jewish man, this is not saying, eh, yeah, God created you. You're one of his creatures. Now for a Jew to say you're the son of God is to say, you're actually an expression, an extension of the one and only God, Yahweh. And this claim is that Jesus, 100% human, is somehow 100% God. It's an astounding kind of claim. C.S. Lewis, the great, the great writer, says that when you consider that claim, you really have just three options. You've got to say that either this man historically was a lunatic, he was just off his rocker, he should have been locked up, or got therapy or something, to be so out of touch with reality, he at best deserves our pity. Or second option, this man was a con man. He was a deplorable liar who deceived thousands and by this time millions and millions of people. He was and he still is dangerous. Those are the two options. He was a lunatic liar. Or the third option is to say somehow he was what he said he was. God become human. Lord of all things. You, there's no middle ground. You can't say that the historical Jesus, well, he was just a really great ethical teacher. A really good man. And he, yeah, somehow he did some miracles. They were pretty impressive. You just don't have that option because he, he made this outrageous claim that the Father and I are one. That, that somehow he is with God when he, all things were created. And then to claim that he's going to save the whole world from its separation from God. Well, the, the, these options, the, the people in power back then in the first century, they, they, they saw it pretty clearly what Jesus was saying. You had the devout Jews 
who said this claim to be one with God as God's son, it's, it's an outrageous expression of blasphemy that deserves nothing less than death. And for the political establishment, both Jewish and occupying Romans, uh, this man is a genuine threat to law and order. And so both from a human standpoint, both for blasphemy, but also for sedition, essentially. That's why Jesus lands on this Roman torture device called a cross. And that leads to a third dimension of who this human divine king is, that somehow it's necessary that the Messiah, the son of the living God, is the crucified Messiah, the crucified Son of God. And that's the third thing that we see about Jesus that Peter just does not get, at least yet. So look at verse 21. From that time on, and, and this, this, by the way, is the first time Jesus begins to do this, the real turning point in the gospel story. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow, is that a warm bath, cold bath deal, or, or what? I mean, one, one minute, this guy gets called blessed, solid rock on which I will build, wall that I'm going to do in this world. And the next minute, he's a God-blocking Satan. What's going on here? Well, Peter has sincerely, genuinely been given the truth about Jesus as the Son of God, this liberating Messiah. But Peter, like his fellow Jews, and really kind of like all of us in various ways, is carrying around some pretty deep assumptions about who the Messiah will be and not be. And the driving assumption on Simon's part is that the Messiah is going to come and be a political liberator. He's going to oust the Rome, occupying Romans. He's going to clean up the corrupt corrupt religious system. You might say the Messiah is going to put on a hat that says make Israel great again or whatever the Democrats were saying back then. Okay, but uh, that was the expectation. That was the hope. That was the, the assumption. But now, but now Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, has this outrageous announcement. In Jerusalem, I'll be killed. And it has to happen. It must happen. Now, can you understand why Peter protests? I mean, he doesn't want his friend, his teacher, killed. And good grief, messiahs from God don't have to get killed. Well, with Peter, Jesus gets pretty blunt. Get behind me. Satan. Wow. Now listen, 
Jesus is not calling Peter evil. I'd say Jesus is opposing at this point the literal Satan who at this point is deceiving his friend Peter. You you hear that? And when he says, get behind me, he's, he's not saying, go away. I thought for a minute that you had it down. I thought, I thought you were going to be a great follower on which I could build this movement. But obviously, you don't get it. Get out of here. Now, what Jesus is saying is, Peter, get behind me and let me lead. Let me be the Messiah in the way the Father has planned. Let me be who I am as the Son of God in the way it has to be. Get behind me and follow me and not just your own assumptions, your own instincts. Follow me. And then comes a radically hard but really good word, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, when, when Peter, sorry, when Jesus confronts Peter, he's, he's not just giving advice. He's not just saying, yeah, yeah, you got a little misinformation there. Let me, let me just kind of give you a little correction. He's, he, it's like he's, he's, passionately pleading with Peter, let me be who I am. Even if it means I'm the crucified Messiah and son of the living God. And and then this kind of hard word, among other things, let let me break up those assumptions. Let me even put them to death. What deep in you is not of the truth and not of genuine life. Jesus wants to give Peter and the others and us life. That means some things have to die. Among other things, these assumptions about who God is and who he's not, who Jesus is and what he's not. In the coming weeks, we're going to keep exploring this, this, this question, what it means to focus on Jesus. And we'll, we'll see how it, it impacts the core of who we are, our core identity, our, our purposes within God's mission. Uh, We'll look at the practical ways. How do we use the Bible? It makes a difference if we're focused on Jesus as we open the scriptures. It makes a difference how we deal with struggles, with failures, with things that end in life. Uh, I think we'll probably take a look at what does it mean that we're citizens of this great country? What does it mean that we would be as such, but with an absolute focus on Jesus as Lord? But for now, as I close, let me just say this, that to focus on Jesus as he truly is, it's not merely having a bit of knowledge about him, some awareness about him. It's not just um, associating with the right group. It's not just a set of activities at heart to focus on Jesus as he is, is a matter of self-surrender. A once and for all, but then an ongoing self-surrender. It's been said that to become a a follower of Christ, and then to grow as a follower of Christ is to give as much of yourself right now as you can to as much of this Christ as you now understand. 
and maybe look back and you don't, haven't given him everything to him and you don't understand all that much about who he is, but it starts there. But then because we don't really know ourselves very well, only God does, because we're really complicated beings. And because we have barely begun to, to grasp the greatness and goodness of this God in Christ, then it puts us on a journey of day by day giving more and more of ourselves as the Spirit prompts us to more and more of this amazing Lord that we're just beginning to get to know. To give more of yourself to more of him day by day. And if we do that, tell you what, you're going to have to face some tough things. Because as you let the Spirit surface stuff from deep within and just open your eyes to what's happening in the broken world, and as you really get to know him, you're going to have to face some hard things around you, but also in you. Things that have to die with him. It won't be pleasant. It'll be kind of like divine surgery. But it'll be good. Because along the way, what we get is anticipations. Genuine anticipations of the day that's coming when we will see him face to face. I love my life here, but I can't wait to see Jesus face to face in all his glory that, that I think will just stagger us and we'll be drawn into life that we can't even imagine now, sharing this resurrection and a whole new creation where all will be well. That's coming. But we get foretastes. We get sneak previews. We get anticipations as we give more and more of ourselves to more and more of him and let him be our focus. Let's just take a moment to pray, shall we? Just let the Spirit lead in whatever way you do best to respond to him. It might include something like, God, would you make yourself known all the more to me? Not just so I know about you, but so that I know you. And would you, by your Spirit, enable me to surrender, to offer, to yield yet more of myself to you. Just continue to open yourself to him as before we go into a song.